We're, we're, we're off. Hello and welcome to another episode of Grange TV. We have with us two very special guests, um, Martin Newen and one of his coaches, Chrysler, who I've had the pleasure of training with at Gracie's Meeting Grange. Um, Martin is the current featherweight champion at 1FC, but he held both belts, featherweight and lightweight, and he also challenged for the bantamweight belt. So he could have he came very, very close to holding all three belts, and the and the the decision that he lost was a split decision to one of my favorite all-time fighters is Bibiano Fernandez. So, mate, and Chrysler was been with the uh, has been on the journey with Martin the whole way through. Um, so that's the kind of company that we are in this evening, people. So, thank you very much, guys, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having us. Um, finally here for thank you yeah man Amazing. man i've been wanting to do this for ages <laughs> but it's one of those things man like like i say this every single person that i know like uh, richie vass mark matthews i've known him for yeah. years and i had them on the on the show as well it always ends up like you know people and you're like oh i'll fucking i'll get there's no problem i'll do that like even yeah. jacob guys that we train with but you don't yeah. you know you don't end up getting people on that you know because you're like i'll, I'll get yeah i can do that whenever but you don't. I speak to him every day. I see him every day. Like I can do it later on. Let's get the, the yeah. other guys on. Actually, I'll get that. And yeah. then, um, so eventually, fuck, finally we we, we did it. But um, yeah, well, man, the, the biggest thing as well with this, and I, I really appreciate both of you because for those that don't know and people that watch this later on, this is fight week, man. This is not, <laughs> this is so, so like you're fighting in five days? Yeah, four days, four days coming, yeah. Wow. All right. Um, tell us because this is COVID. Can you tell us what's going on and what's different this time and why we're able to do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Tell us what it's like and what's COVID yeah. like and you guys flying backwards and forwards and your training schedules, the stuff we spoke about off air, I suppose. Yeah, basically, um, if you guys see Chrysler on the screen there, he's he's in the next room to me, um, right across from us. Uh, uh, we're currently in Singapore um, under strict restrictions. Um, that we, we can't leave our rooms only unless it's for training uh, or media obligations. Um, so realistically, we're, we're, we're stuck in a box until fight time. Um, yeah, we get the pleasures of training. That's why we, you, you have to book everything online. If you're going to train in the morning, you're going to train at night. It's first in best stress. There's like 28 fighters here, um, over four four events that they're going to be, uh, be holding on. So um, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy fight week, but... Um, Oh, I'm really, really thankful. I'm really, really glad that we actually get to compete again. Um, for me, it was hard leaving Australia. Um, this whole COVID situation, the borders had closed down. Uh, so I had to apply for exemptions and everything like that, just, just to leave the country to do my fight camp. Um, I refuse, not refuse, but like I choose to put all my eggs in a basket when it comes to fight camps now. Um, and I go to... Uh, my team in Florida, which is Sanford MMA. So I'm thankful to have Chrysler at, at home and we we do our fundamental training at UFC gym in Gregory Hills. But um, when it comes to fight camps, uh, I don't want to mess around no more and leave anything to chance. I go and train under the best coaches uh, in the world and with the best training partners that I can find that are my size and, you know, world-class, uh, that have world-class credentials. So I go to Sanford MMA and we do our thing there. And usually I'll come back to Australia to um, to quarantine, not quarantine, to, just to to climatize um, for about a week before we fly out to fight week because Asia, Australia is very close to Asia, so it's not that much of a time difference. But um, in terms of 
uh, going back home, usually I just relax with my family for a week, taper down of the fight camp. It's been a hard eight weeks, seven to eight weeks. I usually taper down for about a week, but this time I couldn't. I had to fly straight from Florida, straight to fight week. So here we are. So how, how did this happen with you guys? What, how did the relationship occur between the two of you? Yeah, so um, how, how Krasa and I met, I, I just signed one championship. I just had my first fight. And in that first fight, uh, I realized that all I had was just my wrestling game, jiu-jitsu game. And I needed, I was at the next stage of my career where I really needed to evolve. I really needed to step up uh, from the local scene. Not saying there was anything wrong with the local scene and the, the training. I just needed to amp up as, as a martial artist and uh, move up to the next level. And so in saying that, um, I, needed, I needed a striking coach. I really needed a striking trainer who can help elevate me. And at the time, um, Kraz's brother-in-law, uh, his little brother was training at the gym at the time. And, um, they introduced, uh, I was training under Fari Salievsky at KMA top team. Um, and yeah, introduced Krasda, uh, to me and Krasda thought it was just one PT session, but, uh, <laughs> man, the ride went, man, we're, we're ride or die now. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, if you asked me like five, six years ago, where I'm going to be, it wasn't going to be here <laughs> yeah, right now. I never believe we'll have it like this. Journey that we went through from two titles to 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 division, but from the beginning it was it was the best from the beginning from the beginning from the journey from the get go. We climbed the mountains. We did we did ten rounders for five done minutes. Right, man. We done everything, everything right from from fundamentals to like all basic stuff to to learning new stuff and capitalizing on yeah. um, the the strengths that we we kind of had. What what um so what's you what's what's the role now like what happens now like do you do your training completely with with Henry over there do you and then completely different with Chrysler or is there still communication between Chrysler and Henry and whatnot? I'm sure they I'm sure Chrysler and Henry speak but when we're over there uh, when when I'm home it's strictly under Chrysler um, and it's all like yeah I do talk to Henry and he does post a few videos that we we, we work fundamentals with with our, our team at home. But um, yeah, with all my pre-camps, so usually I have about a three to four week pre-camp. That's all under Chrysler. Um, he gets me all set and prepared for when I go over to Florida. Man, it's like it's like a, a jungle over there. You know, you you mix with other lions and you know, they they want to eat. So you got to be on their level. You know, you, it's it's a killer be killed training room and the videos that you see on YouTube of you know, the, the, the old days of the Black Zillions um, sparring and seven, uh, the Hard Knocks 365 sparring, that's raw, man. That's, that is what it is. It's not put on because the cameras are around. That's them. These guys come in and they, they want to kill. Yeah, they train smart. And if they know that they hurt you, they'll taper it down. But it's a kill or be killed world in that gym, man. But um, when, I'm, when, I'm, uh, when I'm at Sanford MMA, we've got, we got three coaches, uh, four coaches we work under. So we got MMA with Kami Bazani. He works. He worked exclusively with um, Robbie Lawler, Jorge Masvidal. He was the Australian uh, American Top Team um, head coach before Mike Brown. So uh, he came over to Sanford MMA, and we got uh, Division One wrestler Greg Jones, um, and also Henry Hoof under striking. And our strength conditioning um, coach is Corey Peacock. So we get we get the both of the best of all four worlds of what they master in and. 
Yeah, they 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 mold us into the, the athletes we are today, and they make sure that we're we're ready. That's the main thing. And then, what about? So, do you have communication with Henry, or do you just run it all yourself here in the, uh, independently in Australia? And then you go, and then Hen, you, Martin goes over to Henry. That that's to you, Chrysler. Right, yeah, when we when Martin's here, we have a little a team, a team, a small team. Uh, UFC gym at Gregory Hills, and we do we do kickboxing drills there. Um, Martin does his drills, and then we do our drills in the cage. Uh, we've got a group together, um, and it's yeah, it's pretty much yeah. It's more, it's more like our, our um our team thing. So we, I don't, I, I, yeah, Kaiser does communicate with Henry, but in terms of when I'm at home. And there's not like we don't really need to be anything specific. We just do our own thing, um, but make sure we, we do the fundamentals right. We do our cage wrestling, uh, we do our jiu-jitsu, and we do our striking. That's the main three things. Obviously, the conditioning. I keep up with Corey Peacock. He gives me programs in which me and the boys. Uh, there's about ten of us that we we do all of us together. So um, that, that conditioning program is like so good that it makes us look like bodybuilders. <laughs> good, perfect. Hey. All right, cool, cool. Um, so, what? So, who was Martin before he you signed? Like before you started to, to really take off, what were you doing? Uh, I was working full time, uh, full time mechanic. I fixed cars for a living. Um, I had uh, my son at the time, and I, we just had my daughter when I started uh, mixed martial arts in general. Um, but more importantly, I was doing jiu-jitsu and just normal uh, Muay Thai just to get into it to lose weight. I was 84 kilo, 86 kilos when I first started. Um, were you were you like jacked? I was stocky. I was stocky, just stocky. It wasn't shredded, no tone, no nothing. It was just like, just, yeah, everything was just like filled out. I was filled out, but yeah, I was, I was short and stocky. So I was realistically fat. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and yeah, like I, I just had done it. Uh, like I just got married, gained a whole bunch of weight, had two kids, and I needed to lose weight. I had to stop um, doing rugby league because it was just the, the injuries was getting too much, and you know I, I, there was times where I couldn't work and I needed to provide. So um, I had to give rugby league up. I love. I lived and breathed rugby league. What level and, did you um, play? What level I rugby played, league? I played Harold Mats and we got into SG Ball. So you played so, SG Ball? Yeah. SG so Ball? That, that was, that's, that's for uh, West Magpies. So at that age, I was 18 years old and I had to give up. What year were you at West? Because I, I was coaching uh, was, at, at West for a bit. Uh, it was. When did I stop? Was that 2008? Six? No, eight, eight. Around eight, yeah. Around 2008. I was training under um, Mick. I think I started there in 2012. Oh, you did? Yeah, that I think that like there was a whole bunch. What was of... that 18? 2008? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay, okay. Because for yeah. those people that don't know, uh, SG Ball is like uh, it's first grade rugby league, but under 18. So it's like playing okay. whatever youth divisional in whatever country you're playing, whether it's soccer or basketball, or whatever. For I the... reached that stage. Yeah. Yeah, for the top, top, top team. But in their juvenile ranks, so Martin played um, as a uh, under 18s, which is a big level here in Australia. It's a big deal. What position did you play? 
I played halfback. So I was uh, the the main head honcho controlling the, the forwards and that. So and you, how how heavy were you when you were playing rugby league? At, at yeah. So when I when I played rugby league, um, walking around, I was maybe about seventy at 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 at, at halfback. I was uh, 72, 70 kilos max, absolute max. And you got these you know islanders that are like one hundred and ten kilos run like Usain Bolt at you and you're like, you know, you throw your body on the line because you know your teammates have got your back, but when you're dislocating shoulders every game, it's no good. And so. and when you're in the line like that and, like, the, the Islanders, not just the Islanders, <laughs> there's big kids in general, but the Islanders are like, if you weigh 70 kilos, I think, you know, um, Izzy, Izzy Fitikefu that, that from, from the gym? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like short guy. He's probably only about your height. But he, we were talking before and he was like 90 kilos in year six. You know, he, and and he just stayed the same weight the whole his whole way through. But he played, he played like all the way to twenties. And you just think like, you're a fucking kid, normal kid. You're seventy kilos, which is not small for an eighteen year old. Like it's decent size, and you're short, so you would have been like a big kid. And that's like a fucking fourteen year old Islander kid that just probably doesn't even that doesn't even play a sport. Yeah, doesn't even play a yeah. sport. You know, 100%. and when you're in the line, they're going to pick the little Asian guy to run it. That's the that that'll be the whole the team play. Yeah, always, always, and I always notice it too. I'm like, whenever they got the ball in my head, I always thought to myself, and I still always have flashbacks. I'm like, this guy's going to run at me. So I, I, every time, every single time that I know that it's going to that side, I was like, boys, come closer. He's going to run at me. <laughs> that, and then when I do throw my body at the line. Like they trip over me and the guys just fall on top of them. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> and so you stopped at at um at under 18s. Yes, you stopped after that. You finished that season. Yes, I did. And um, how how bad were the shoulder dislocation? So we we finished that, and then I went. I had to actually leave. We I left the team uh, because it was just uh, I couldn't stay. I couldn't play. And then um, it came to a point where I finished off uh, C grade at um it was a it was. Cap, no, not Cap, uh, Mounties. I played for Mounties uh, the last, my last year. And then after that, I was just like, I can't do it. I really can't do it. I, I'll fall asleep. And when I wake up, my shoulder would be dislocated. And I'll be like, oh, I've got to roll on that angle. And then it'll pop back in. And I'm like, oh, I've got to keep this shoulder like, very close to me. So it was, it came to a point where, yeah, it was dislocating during my sleep. And I was saying, this is ridiculous. Like I've, I've, I've spent now a whole year of dislocating shoulders. And then you have fractured fingers. And then like you'd have like bum knees from you know just knee clashes and stud marks, and I was just like it came to a point I was just over it completely. And um, yeah, I still love the game, and I still love the game to this day, and I miss it so much. But um, it was just uh, more of a health, health and work. Uh, I was working, and I was like, man, I can't provide. I go to I go to work, and I have no power to you know unscrew a bolt because of a dislocated shoulder. So I was like, man, I can't do this. And I went into rehab. I started lifting weights for about two years, man, and from there. Do you have problems now? No, never. Knocked on wood. I haven't um, dislocated my shoulder since I started at KMA um, back when I was, like, 20 years old. Okay. So it's about 10 years now, 11 years. Because I will, I will get back to, to that in a sec, but um, I played C-grade as well, and I was going to say to you, C-grade, when you play C-grade compared to SG4, like – C grades, it's rough. It's rough. It's a rough. It's rougher. It's, it's so much rougher. rougher. It's way rougher because it's like, you got, it's like unintelligent. Yeah, I was gonna say you got with no no disrespect to anyone, 
but it's a lot of guys that didn't make it and they're just playing and there's usually yeah, a fight every fight every every oh every week every week without yeah. a doubt <laughs> and and the fights are bad because like they're big guys like they're big dudes and the shots are coming from everywhere every angle yeah. you know like and especially if you played like at Mounties and Cabra Kenley Vale um yeah man Layla Park uh Fairfield United <laughs> yeah all, all that that area was um yeah, uh, rough. yeah, Wentworthville, uh, Balkham Hills. That, that's the comp, yeah. yeah? That, that, Gilford, was that the comp? Yeah, 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 yeah. Gilford, Gilford Cabra, yeah. That's all these teams. All the tourist spots. All the <laughs> <laughs> all the fucking tourist spots. It was rough. It was rough. I'm telling you, there was a fight every week, hundred percent. And and even then, I think like when you when you have something that you want to do, like if you want to play footy, or I mean, not play footy, if you you're working and everything that kind of rugby league is when you have to start asking yourself like is it am i going to go c grade a grade and maybe run uh Ron Massey or something yeah. am i, I going to be able to work my way up or am i putting my body on the line because like c grade the injuries are there for maybe 50 bucks a week if that you know okay. um, i wasn't even getting paid we weren't even getting paid as c graders back then we just yeah, we went in and we fought for free, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd had a fight for free, you know, pay-per-view, no pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah man. man, it was rough. And, and exactly that, like, it came to the part where C-grade and C-grade was rough, man. It was it was really, really rough. And you kind of, like, you do kind of like, talk to yourself. You're like, man, like, I'm 18 years old. I'm playing C-grade. Am I going to make, like, the 20s? Am I going to make it to the A-grade? Am I going to get that opportunity again like I did? From how Master SG bought, like you, you start doubting yourself, and at that stage, I was like, "Yeah, man, it was just it came, it came too much, way too much." So, C grade for those that don't know, I believe is under 19s, and it's it's 18, like, yeah, it's like park football, but it the level is still it's still pretty good because like everyone's young and they're kind of but but it's a it's a kind of mishmash of kids that will probably go might be able to go on. Guys that aren't going to go on, and guys that are just there to fucking to fight. To you know what man, I mean? Man. <laughs> yeah, was, and it's it's just man, a, the boys are there basically. Yeah, yeah, it's just a mishmash of that. So it, it's it's quite rough, you know. And so you you you're waiting to get injured, really. I think in in C grade, especially if you're a little guy, like you're not like a, a big I was, dude. And I was the smallest, a smallest guy on the team, without a doubt, without a doubt. Fuck! Did you play yeah, football, was, Chrysler? Well, I came from like Kings of High School, and and I was really big in. They were big in the league. We had you know Anthony Mundine, we had Lance Thompson, and I think I did I did go on a trial. I think uh, back maybe I was in year eight. I actually played. I had to borrow my stepbrother's um, football gear because he he was playing for Holy Cross Ride, and they were they were one of the you know good yeah, best yeah. players around there. And he lent me his um his gear. <laughs> and it was a trial back in uh where in in, in my school in the, in the yards and i put the thing on because i you know i was small so the, the guy the one other coach put me on the wing first the first time i had the ball the guy came running at me and just gave me a fucking clothesline I, I backwards, man. that was the last time i played it but i was still mad i still managed to get in the team <laughs> but i never got, I never got any, i still but i never got into like any playtime during the actual comp yeah but you but got to 
you got to travel with the team. That's what counts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rug- you got to, hey, you got the day off school. Rugby Bro, league. I is, forget that close. Yeah, I did. Rugby league is a line. fucking tough sport, man. And t- if you're yeah, not big and fast, man, you, yeah, no. I don't know. You better be really religious or something because you're, you're fast. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. <laughs> um, it's interesting. You say was is it your right shoulder, Martin, that would get dislocated a lot? Yeah, my right shoulder. And it happened uh, during high school, year 11. Um, recess, we played league, but it's not, we're not meant to tackle, but you know, it, you know, boys, when we, our testosterone levels get a bit high, um, it, a touch game or two hand touch game or a grab game yeah, always turns into tackle. And just at one time, my own teammate like from, from weekend football, uh, we went to school together, um, he ran the ball. And he usually doesn't run that hard. And for me, I was just like, okay, I'll just tackle the legs. And I went to go for the legs and, and my shoulder felt like it completely ripped apart. And I was like, I was on the ground. I was like, what's going on with my arm? Like, I was in shock. I was like, what's it? Like, everything was numb. I started sweating. It was a cold day. I started sweating. I was like, what's going on with my arm? My whole shoulder's gone numb. And I couldn't move it. I can only move it like this direction. It was it was out. And then after... Um, Tony Williams at that time, because we were playing with those, Tony Williams came over, he goes, oh, I get this problem all the time. And he grabbed my arm, and as soon as he touched my elbow, it popped back in, and I was like, oh, what was that? He goes, what He goes, what did I do? Like that. I was like, I don't know, I can move it, I can have that range now, but it's sore as shit. But then since then, that day, that day, I went to training that night, and it dislocated again, and a weekend game, it dislocated again, and I was like, man, this is no good. I don't know what's wrong with it. And then, yeah, I was, I was, I was deemed for... Um, shoulder reconstruction but being 16 at the time 17 at the time i was like man i ain't gonna have surgery like i thought i was invincible and so i didn't go through with it because the the irony that 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 you have is that you you're correct me if i'm wrong your main punch is that like kind of overhand right yeah, right hand <laughs> yeah but it, but it, it's kind of it's not like a straight right hand it's kind of like loops a little bit like and, over the top. Yeah, and you have you have a lot of a lot of power in that. Um, ha, can you talk about that? Is that and Chrysler? I suppose if, if for sure you'd be a better one to talk. Is that how did that punch occur? Like, did that is that something that you've always had? Is that um, is that God given? How much work did put into it, etc., etc., etc. Because you do it quite well. You do it quite well. But that's also the shoulder that that you fucked. That's that, why I'm, I'm like curious. Yes, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Martin um, did tell me well, he was a. Uh, he had a record as, as, as a javelin thrower, didn't he? With his right. Uh, yeah, I still the record. Yeah, what's, I think what's that's school? probably why. What yeah, school? school it? Uh, Liverpool Boys High School, Year Seven. There was like two, yeah, twelve-year-olds or thirteen-year-olds. I still hold uh, to this day the longest um, javelin throw. <laughs> okay. Well, that no, but there is a correlation to that for sure because that's your your ability to, you know, like you obviously have a lot of power in that hand, which Definitely which. Is. Another thing I was going to say, which is rare, at the lighter weights to carry that knockout power, not a lot of people do. And I, I was watching that the whole time, and I was thinking, because there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, now Gaethje just fought recently, just fought yesterday, and he's got like a really peculiar way that he throws his punch, like just the way he throws it, and it's a very like a throwing, Aggressive. yeah, and it's yeah. a, but it's a very throwing action. And it ends up he was a quarterback and a pitcher his whole time growing up. And that's like that talent oh. to have that same thing that you have to because the way you throw it, it, it you can tell that it, there's a there's a power there that that's you know, you can't really 
train that. Now you say that you've always had that, obviously being able to throw the, the, the javelin. That's that's very interesting. Did you notice that that he had power in that hand? Um, oh, yeah, well, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Every time we hit pads, I think he favors the right hand a lot more. When I first trained with him, he, he was using a lot of right hands. And so we... So we, that's when we he he didn't know what jab was. He didn't know what the left hand was, <laughs> and because he felt his right hand and just take down so much. Um, yeah, I think now he kind of sets it up now with his right hand. The, the right hand travels from the, top the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Ten thousand jabs in one session. <laughs> oh man! You dislocated the other arm now. Yeah, I always Oh, Jesus. But you do cover a lot of distance with that right hand as well, with the timing. I noticed that it's just there, there's something in the angle in which you throw it as well. Like, one, you're countering the guy and you've got that good timing to counter it, but you seem to cover a lot of distance with that right hand. Like, exactly like what Chrysler was saying then, um, that timing and that ability to cover that distance, is that something you guys worked on or is that something that you always had? Never had that, man. Um, everything I Everything I know... Started from Chrysler, um, from timing to reaction to the fundamentals of just the, the sweet science of boxing. Um, realistically, I never, I never knew an ounce of just an overhand takedown, overhand takedown. But um, in saying that, like the overhands, it's I, I personally, yeah, I know I hit hard because the record shows for itself. But in I don't really intentionally throw over the top where it puts me completely um, off balance. I throw it, um, and when, when it, when I, whenever I throw it, it always hits them, I always get on like an angle. It's always the punches that you don't see coming really hurts the most. And um, I think just the angle and the countering and the, the timing of the reactions um, is what gets my opponents off guard, mainly anyway. What do you think, Chrysler? I think Martin has a good instinct and timing. He does... He does surprise people with it. They don't see it coming because he put a lot of weight in that right hand. But the most important part is I think it's just the timing and the reaction. It's one of those things where you can't – it's hard to read. And if you can read your opponent very well, mine is going to throw it and you won't see it coming. What? And lucky he's got that really right hand. Talk us through – The speed coming down. Talk us through uh, the difference when – what. Talk us through, Chrysler, the difference between someone that you're doing the pads with, they're good, and then someone like maybe like a Martin that comes in and you and they're raw, but like you said, like you can feel there's certain differences. Not not just physical, but perhaps the fact that you said jab, 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 and a lot of guys will be like, nah, I don't want to jab, I want to do fucking spinning back fists today. Back fists. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fundamental is very important. What I, what I learned is... Um, from one of my boxing trainer, Joe LaFella, shout out to him. He, from he, Kings he Grove, from the Jack. Lions then. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I used to box there with him when I was like 18. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. <laughs> it was just his birthday the other day too. I sent him a message. Fucking everyone's, um, trained, everyone's trained with Joe, eh? Everyone in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows Joe. <laughs> uh, he's, he's gold. Yeah, I think he took Martin over there. Killed um, me, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was our yeah. first session all ever again. <laughs> <laughs> More jabs. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's the jabs. It's, um, it's the fundamentals of striking. Because I came from a, a boxing background and it's all fundamentals of footwork. So speed, nice and squeezed. 
But when Martin throws it, he's a, he's it's an MMA right hand. They, they don't necessarily throw it straight like a boxer would do. So he he's got his angle, and I wasn't I didn't want to change the way he throws his right hand because he's an MMA fighter. So yeah, I just came from a, a boxing perspective where everything is clean. So he just blended and put it all together. I guess when we did all those rounds and pads throughout those five years, we were together. Martin and and Chrysler, was there ever a time where you considered pursuing boxing just in and of itself? Yeah, like as, as soon as it was just like one of those um, times where you got a boxing coach now, I want to do boxing. But um, for me, at the time, we weren't allowed. Uh, Fiery goes, no, stick to MMA, stick to what you know. Um, and yeah, Kraza, I think Kraza at the time, he was encouraging, uh, yeah, you should have a boxing fight. And some of the guys um, in our gym at the time, they did take up the boxing fights because boxing was you know, our, our new thing. It's like, oh, you got a new toy. We were cries at the gym now and it's like everyone just started to adapt to boxing and everyone wanted to do boxing. So um, some of the guys had boxing fights, but um, for myself, uh, I, I would say, yeah, yeah I, I was recommended not to and stick to what I know. And I just did that. But yeah, I never had a boxing fight. I did uh, spar with other boxers and spar in general um, boxing, but um, in terms of the com competitive boxing, no. Uh, what, what do you think about Martin uh, as a boxer? If you were to make that transition into boxing, Chrysler, Ooh, it'd be a hard fight. <laughs> Everyone would be watching for his right hand. <laughs> um, if Manny Pacquiao calls him out, I'll say, "Man, you got to jump in. You got to fight Manny Pacquiao." <laughs> that's, the, that's the fight I want to see. Man, for real, man. Yeah. You, you don't play boxing, man. Boxing is just yeah. like training in general. Guys that have been doing it their whole lives. Like for me. I, I use the boxing for, for MMA, but guys that strictly do boxing and boxing only, that's like, you don't, you don't play with that, man. Like, these guys work that craft and angles and everything like that on a daily basis yeah. where we split it's it very, up. Yeah. Boxing, technical. And, and wrestling, and, you know, a bit of, a bit of everything. It's, it's crazy when you see dudes that, um, when, that, that are good boxers that really understand angles. And like, you know, you try and speak to people that, that don't know and they go, oh, blah, blah, blah. I won't say people's names or whatever. And I think like, dude, you understand in a ring, like it's fucking completely different. Like they, 100%. the angles and the way that they, they'll, and it doesn't matter. It's not like MMA because it's like 12 rounds and you can win eight of them, but there's like a different endurance as well. You know what I mean? Like with the body shots and the way they think and everything and um, it's interesting to hear you talk like that because, like, it shows that you obviously have a very good boxing trainer. You understand, you know, like you understand boxing and you understand. Yeah, definitely, man. But having that, that in terms of fighting, in terms of fighting in the ring, like having that boxer's mentality, that's that's where they're born and bred in the ring. And for me, like when I now now that one championship has events in the ring, I I kind of have that boxing knowledge of how to cut off different angles. Now that I work a lot of boxing. We, we worked a lot in the ring. I've got another guy that we do striking with as well, Skinny Hussein. Um, and oh, you know, Skinny, I know Skinny, I know Skinny and, and yeah, his brothers. I, I, work, I, I work with Skinny a lot as well when I'm when I'm at home. So we just get a, a feel of a, a bit of everything. And yeah, we work off cutting off the ring and you know just from a boxer's mentality because I do fight in the ring as well. So knowing how to cut off people and you know it's not like a cage where you can actually circle out and all you got to do is circle out, like, take two big steps and you're back in the middle. Um, where the boxing ring is like you lean on them and everything like that. It's, yeah, it's crazy. The gloves, the gloves makes a big difference. Having those yeah. bigger gloves in boxing, 
You can, you can block well. punches, you can parry, you can block, yeah. Compared to MMA gloves, all it takes <laughs> is one punch. MMA, there's no such thing as block. You, you, yeah. you're, you're getting hit, you're getting hit. <laughs> you get hit. It's gonna go can through. you talk about that? Can you guys talk about the difference with the with the four-ounce gloves or six-ounce gloves in, in MMA? Usually it's four-ounce. And um, yeah. the difference between uh, that and the bigger gloves, eight and twelves, tens in boxing, inspiring and fighting, and also like what you just what what you were just talking then about like how you block like more can can you shell up more or do you what's what do you do? Yeah, so you can't just do this in no way, no way. That sorry, <laughs> did you watch the fights on the weekend? No, I didn't get I did, to. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. We were we were watching um the heavyweights uh, Volkov and um Walt Harris. Walt Harris, right? Yeah. And Walt Harris, I'm not fucking criticizing him, so I don't want him to rip my fucking arm off and beat me with it. But it it was like a few times, like he was shelling up like this, and this is at heavyweight. And me, me and Eli were doing like a fight companion. Eli's Eli's a boxing trainer as well, and we were just saying like, you can kind of do this in in boxing because you have big gloves but at heavyweight in the ufc is like four ounces and i'm punching with four ounces it's fucking eight ounces it's like you got hit yeah. flush like in it's eight the same ounce, as getting yeah. hit flush with an eight ounce glove you know and yeah. you could tell that it was fucking getting through you know so it was just an interesting anecdote that i was saying but if you guys could discuss those things that i'd, I'd love to hear it from your point of view Either one of you. Eight ounces and above. You, you, you give like that. Um, you, you can you can shell up a bit more because, you know, you got the, the, the bigger glove, a bit more protection, bit, um, like a smaller window for the, the, um, the glove to get through. But in terms of four ounces, man, it's like everything gets yeah. through. Basically, if you're in striking distance and they strike at a weird angle and they hit you like – like you can you can put your hands up like that, but there's still that middle gap. There's still the sides here that they can reach around. It's just four ounces. It's just nothing to play with. So in terms of being in mix, uh, being in an MMA fight, everything has to be very very tight, as in like chin tucked. Everything is like moving elbows. Elbows have to be in motion as well. Body movements, um, just to just to just a block. So it's basically like a whole body movement. Footwork has to be main key as well, not to get hit. Um, Four ounces, man. There's there's no blocking yeah. four ounces unless it's like it slaps it slaps off your forearms or anything like that. Every punch, I I, I physically see it, um, and how I think of it, like if this guy's gonna strike, that punch is gonna get through. So it's up to me to footwork and head movement um, instead of focusing more on absorbing and blocking um, the shots. So uh, yeah, that's how, that's how I get around of um, avoiding getting hit. You know the thing as well, like four ounce is just enough to protect your hand. Do you get what I mean? Like if it's if it's bare knuckles and bare knuckles mm -hmm. hit like the top of the head or something, your knuckles will break. But but yeah. but four ounces just enough that it'll protect the hand and the way that it's wrapped as well, protect the hands just enough to fuck up your head. Yes, you know to give you the, <laughs> sure. the maximum amount of of damage. You know, and and the 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 hand becomes like a like a like a weighted club, you know what I mean? You can still throw that fast and hard. It doesn't get slowed down by the gloves. What's your take you know, on, on the gloves and that, Chrysler? Oh, with, with that, you can, I mean, you, you, there's elbows that you can get through those MMA gloves. There's knees. 
there's foot, a foot can come between those between those MMA gloves. Whereas in, in boxing, you can still kind of, it's a lot bigger, you can defend with it, you can still pretty much rest with it in, in, and do your footwork. You're not expecting any kicks or elbows. That's why Martin's got a hard, tough job fighting MMA. <laughs> but again, it's, it works, yeah. What about ring versus cage? Like, what do you prefer advantages and disadvantages? Because you guys in the cage, it's actually a circle. It is an actual circle. Am I correct? So yeah. you have no yeah. angles on the cage, like compared to like an octagon, say. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, me personally, I would, I love, I love the cage. <laughs> yeah. My last fight was in a ring, and every single time my opponent shot on me, it's like their first instinct. Like you're when because it's so open. When someone lifts you up or when someone drives you for a takedown, the first instinct is the grab onto something that was that was for me anyway and it was just instinct like he, he'd pick me up to to take me down and i was just like oh my, oh my arm got stuck like i was just like one of those ones where in a cage when you if someone's going to take you down i don't care i don't care if it hits the ground i can use like a wall work to get to get up whereas one championship when when you hit when you hit the ground someone's on top of you you're not allowed to use the ropes to get up it's it's, it's purely jiu-jitsu angles and sweeps just to get up and yeah, you know, with someone with a heavy, heavy tight wrestling game or jujitsu game, when they're like, top game on top of you, it's you're not going to get it up. You're not going to get up at all. But um, yeah, for me personally, for the safety of myself, um, I'd rather the the, the circle or the cage. Yeah. Um, how do you find it with the with, when you're working angles on the circular cage versus? I, I assume you've trained mainly in octagons because it's hard to get a circular cage. How do you find working? Those angles, do, do you feel they make a difference or the circle doesn't make a difference? I, I don't know. Uh, not necessarily really makes a difference, man. Like, realistically, if you're going to cut somebody off, you, you're going to – like, yeah, there's room for them to escape, so you can't really bum rush them and, you know, expect them to stay there. Everyone's going to be moving, so you've got to time everything. So you might hit him with a one-two, and then usually people will th follow up with three and fours. You might hit them with a one-two, uh, slap them with a three, and we'll see where they move. And then you can capitalize on the four. Like it's just it's it's more of a game of chess when it comes to uh, using a circle. But at the end of the day, if you're going to come forward and they're going to be moving, it, it's someone's gas tank's going to run out real soon before they just come to a standstill and you just lay lay hands on them or wrestle with them. What about you, Crozer? What's your take on that? The ring versus the cage and the circle versus the octagon. As an MMA fighter, for them they would favor the cage. Obviously, I, I like boxing, so. I, I like I like the ring. It's probably different to adjust if you're an MMA fighter fighting in the ring. As Martin said, he almost flew out of the the ring. You know, picked up. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like the ring for kickboxers and in Muay Thai fights. But MMA, stick with it. Stick with the cage. That's just my take on that. Is it w w is with your traditional boxing background? You alluded before to feeling that you could cut the ring off a little bit easier in um in when you fought MMA in the in the ring. Is that is that would that would I be correct in that? Yeah. So when I when I fought in the when I fought in the ring last fight, it was I, I found it so much easier uh, to cut my opponents off. It was just more of the pressure. I, I'd pressure them into that corner, and every time they they go to circle out. They can't really can't circle out because they've got to come towards me. 
they got to close the distance towards me to actually get out of the corner. So um, it, it kind of favoured in my in my perspective where I just land like a big shot. At least I got a shot in, and I would continue that pressure and then push them into that little corner again uh, for them to move forward and move out of the way. So um, you know when you're when you're the hammer in a ring, <laughs> it feels good. But when you're the nail, uh, I can see why people don't really like it. So um, getting yeah, stuck in the corner. Hundred percent. Yeah, and then my fighters wouldn't be used to getting out of that ring if you're stuck in the corner. Hundred percent, man. How yeah. how much do you think it's an advantage that you have a traditional boxing kind of background in that you work so much with traditional boxing? Do you notice that a lot of guys don't have that that boxing pedigree, so to speak? And the crazy? both, either or. Yeah, so me personally, when I I find that um, MMA fighters tend to uh, they stress a bit more when it comes to the ring, like they, they don't know the angles, and if they're getting pressured back into the corner, then they they like they if I feel like their game plan is not necessarily out the window, but they're like, oh man, this guy's pressuring me, like where do I go from here? Like I'm I'm in a corner now. And I don't want to get hit by one of these shots. And then they start to panic more and start doing like suicide shots um, and all that just to just to get out of trouble. But um, yeah, like in terms of boxes, they're just like, yeah, push me in the corner. Like I know how to get out of this easy and I counter you and everything like that. But that's something that I've worked a lot on as well, getting out of corners if I, if we ever had to fight in the ring again. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I guess it's all, it's all preference. If whatever the day is, for like if you're gonna if you're set to fight in eight weeks time and they tell you yes it's in the cage then you, you work you work what you're best good at in the cage but if the if it's in a ring um you know you'd want to work a lot more with boxers and kickboxers who who know that whole scenario and how different people and everything like that so do you do you notice chrysler um a big difference like in guys that you know that that fight mma that don't have good boxing like they don't have they might hit hard. They might be tough guys, but you can you you can tell that the, that this guy hasn't actually worked boxing. Boxing, can you see that? You can see on their footwork and and their timing. You know, they'll you can also tell by their jab if they're not using their jabs a lot. Um, most of them are MMA because you MMA they're really open. In, in boxing, you're pretty very tight, covering your body, covering your your chin. You you're just right here, really tight. You're snapping all your jabs. And it's, it's, yeah, it's MMA, MMA is a bit different. They don't need to do boxing five times a week, as long as just to get the fundamentals of throwing those jabs and setting your, setting it up maybe for your right hand or for your kicks straight after your jabs. I don't know. Yeah. I, I see sometimes though with guys that they hit hard or whatever, but then you see them in against like a, a good striker with good boxing or kickboxing mm. pedigree or whatever, and mm. – it just fucking unravels, man. It's like, yeah. I don't know, it kind of looks like, to me, when I see people like that, it looks like a good blue belt in jiu-jitsu that's been rolling with blue belts and sometimes taps a purple belt, but then rolling with a black belt and you're like, oh, oh no, okay, fuck, different, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you see that, like, dudes hit hard or whatever and then they they fight a good striker and you, you just see the difference, you know, like a big, big difference. And you can see it like, not going to name the people, but I've seen it like with Martin. I've seen it with other people where, like, it looks good. The other fights have looked good, but 
if you're composed in that boxing range and you're composed in that range where you know you can you know how to counter you're just moving off a little bit yeah and you're countering them it's it's um like i like watching i like watching martin's fights because i like that style what's that it's a sweet science man it's it's like people don't understand that. Like if you, I can't watch fights like at, say, for example, um, at the pub or something. Because I want to say to people, "Did you see that? Did you did you fucking <laughs> see what happened there?" And obviously they didn't. So I fucking I can't watch it. Um, yeah. I was going to say, Martin. So growing up, like your parents, what? Who were they? What? What did they think of you fighting? You playing football, et cetera, et cetera. So, sorry, one more thing. Yeah, so, um, Have you got a light? A light? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Fuck, look at us. All Hollywood now. Yeah. That's why I turned my light on. Yeah, look at us. All right. Yeah, sorry. I, I grew, you know where I went to school, Martin? I went to school, um, Ashcroft High School. My sister went to oh, the girls. Yeah, I went to Ashcroft. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm a local boy. Where'd you go to school? Kingsgrove. Kingsgrove High. Kingsgrove High. From 1991 to 1999. And where where did you live, Martin? Where did you live? I live uh, just off Sadler Avenue. <laughs> did you live on Sadler Avenue? Just off it. I was in Kennedy too. Street. Me too. Where where did you live? Kennedy Street. So there's Ins- Insignia. I know Insignia, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then the first street on the right is Kennedy Street. I, I lived on um Sutton Road in Ashcroft. Sutton Road, yeah. Sutton Road. I know Sutton where Road. the shops are. Yeah, we shops. Oh, the, uh, the Ashcroft shops there. Ashcroft shops. Yeah. Harry, you know Harry. Harry's the, the yeah. owner. I, I, I know Harry. I know, like, I know I'm not, like, mates with him, but I, I know him because he owned the shops the whole the yeah, whole time. Yeah, like, forever. He still owns it to this day. No, it's good, man. How good is that? And his, his mum, uh, Effie. Yeah, Effie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How good is that? Did you used to go, like, you obviously went to the shops? I used to go there, like, every week after footy, because I played for Ashcroft Stallions as well, um, under 13s. Ashcroft so, Stallions, look at this guy. Yeah, I played Ashcroft Stallions, um, and every single week after a game, we'll go there and get hot chips. <laughs> it, was, it was like a thing, chips and gravy. I'll take well, this opportunity know. to shout out uh, Shane Fulmer, who hopefully will be watching this. His dad used to run Ash, uh, Ashcroft Stallions. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I played um so who was my coach at the time? Uh Lindsay. Why do I know the name? What's his surname? Uh I forgot I, I, I don't really know the last name, but he had like a few sons that ran uh other teams in the uh, Ashcroft Stallions as well. I, I don't know if he was high up there, but yeah, Lindsay was like the toughest of all toughest coaches that I've had for real. Even up even playing throughout um Hellmas and SG Ball, um no one can compare to like Lindsay, he was like old school. He would make us like our training sessions. Oh, you guys played shit. So he he would make us carry sandbags, run <laughs> sandbags, sandbags. We'd run the field up and back, up and back. We'd do squats, and then after that, we'd run um, Elizabeth Drive hills. Like see the yeah yeah, yeah yeah I remember that. Run there as a team, do ten up and back, and then run back, and then by the time you're like the next training session comes, you're like, oh I'm so I can't make it, and then he'll put you on the bench because you didn't come. Like it was one of those ones like. He was strict of the strict, but yeah. That That's, the but, hey, it's funny though. Like you remember that shit. You know what I mean? Like you remember mm-hmm. those coaches. You might not have liked it. You might not have liked it, but I'd, I'm a firm believer in that. Like I'm a firm believer in like that, that shit. Like it builds your character, who you are. Like, that. That builds character. You know, and I, I see yeah, that. At the time I was like, man, this fucking shit. 
which coach makes us fucking do so much fucking do this shit? And at the time, yeah, it is conditioning, but you don't think it's conditioning. You think you're just getting punished because – and we went the whole year undefeated too, to mind you, and we lost the grand final. Like it was just – I don't know how we lost the grand final. We just choked under pressure. But um, the whole year we were smashing everyone 40-plus points, 40-plus points. And we get to the grand final and we lost like by two tries. And it was like – the guy was like, how do you guys go undefeated for <laughs> – 40 points on every single guys and lose the grand final. Mm. And I was just like, oh, I was, I didn't know what to say. I was so angry at the time. My parents came and watched the, because um, my parents, they're immigrants, right? Um, so they, 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 they stuck to what they know and that's just providing for the family. And so for me, I, I grew up with a lot of um, Australians who love rugby league from Australian background. Um, and that's how I got into it. At the stage, one of my good friends at the, at primary school, his dad came to school and we were playing. Uh, we were playing after school, and he was like, "Oh man, you're pretty good. You want to come try out for my team?" And that was Liverpool City. Um, and so I, we went out, and he he picked me up. My parents never dropped me off, never picked me up. He came and picked me up every single day for for the training, or three times a day for training, and then he dropped me off and picked me up for the games as well. So it was like um, I had I had Brian as a like a second father basically growing up, and then. From there, it was just I, I took off on my own feet. So he got me started. And then from there, I was just, yeah, love rugby league. But my parents were like old school. They work, they come home, they put food on the table, they go to sleep, and the next day is Groundhog Day. And that's, that's, that's how they go. My dad was a hustler, and he, that's how he hustled to put food on the table. And for me, it was just carefree. Um, and I can't remember the last time I paid um, football registrations because our family, we weren't, we, weren't, uh, we weren't rich, or but we weren't like really really poor um it was that it was at that stage where we, we were managing to get by with my, with my parents it was four of us uh i have two sisters and a brother so um yeah my parents all they did was work and they provided for the family and then occasionally we would have family come over and then it would be like a family occasion but um other than that man i i, I they never had money for me to pay for footy registrations i've always had either uh, sponsors or um the coach will pay for me uh, and it would, that would keep me going playing the sport, which made me love the sport because it was like hassle-free. But every time, oh, you can't play this week because you haven't paid registration, that like it kind of it sank my heart. But um, the the coaches always pulled through and paid for me. So it's funny, eh? Like all, all those little things, like you know the you know those coaches you have growing up that that do that kind of shit. Like it just um, yeah. I, I had I was just telling my wife the other day about. Um, I had a coach growing up. I was a basketball player. I played basketball growing up. Um, massive thing for uh, Chrysler yeah. here, being a Filipino. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basketball was my first sport. See, it's, uh, mate, I didn't even know that. I just fucking stereotyped, you know. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna add breakdancing and karaoke, but um, but yeah, <laughs> like I, I was playing basketball. And I was telling my wife about this, um, this coach I had that. Like I was, I played rep basketball and that. I don't know what I was doing. I was, I was, like I was probably being a dickhead. And um, the guy told me off so fucking bad, man. This guy. And uh, my wife's like, you know, what'd you do? And I said like nothing. I just fucking stood there like hating the world, thinking you know fucking pricky, fucking tell me off. I said all this. I didn't. Didn't in my head. Obviously, I didn't say yeah. it to him. But um, like that shit stays with me today. You know, when I when I'm doing something. And it's like, nah, dude, you're you're the one being a dickhead. 
shut the fuck up you know what i mean like and it was true like you didn't like it and probably today like if you said something like that to a kid maybe 17 16 17 years old fucking probably take a job yeah and you i took it to heart i'm not gonna lie i fucking took it to heart i I took it to heart too i was like oh boys i don't know i don't think i'm gonna come back i don't like this coach and all that shit i'll say all that stuff but it's they're saying it obviously to to slap you out of whatever you were doing at the time you know so um it's, I, I say it like with my son now, I give him lectures here and there and he looks at me like like he hates me as well. I was like, man, I'm, I've been through what you go through, man. Like, I, I'm not that old, man. I still know what you think. So, And I think it's awesome though to, I think that's that role like of the coach, if you find a good coach that, that can play that role in that child, I think is, is really important. Like someone was asking me the other day because I'm going to put like my daughter in, I don't care what sport she does, but I'm going to put her in as many things as she can and blah, 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 blah. But um, that's the thing. Like, I want her to find her feet. Like, and I want her to find, like, a coach that can play that role that can – it's got it's got nothing to do with me not being a good dad or my wife not being a good dad. But I think those people that come into your life, like the coaches that you had when you are 16, 17 or 13 or whatever. Because me, I'll tell you the truth, man, at 17, I thought I was the fucking – the shit. Oh, <laughs> mate, I would have fucking now, I think back, if I was that coach, I'd fucking probably hit me, you know? Like, yeah. I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't like a bad kid. I wasn't like a, I wasn't rude or bad or anything, but I would have just been like, you know, like a fucking 17-year-old that was pretty good at a sport and thought he was better yeah. than, than everything else. And I think, like, if you don't have someone to check that, that kid, you know, because I didn't listen to my teachers. I probably didn't really listen to my parents at 17. You know, I was 17, 18. I was like, I fucking my mind was on other shit. But my coach, he could fucking bench me, man. So <laughs> he could, he had fucking all the power in the world. You know, he could bench me. Yeah. He could he could say whatever to me. And I just had to shut my mouth and put my head down. You know what I mean? And It's a worse feeling, eh? Like, you're getting ready to like... You know, you, you put everything into the sport and you're getting ready to lead the team to freaking victory. And then he comes in and goes, hey, where were you training? Ah, oh, I was sick. I couldn't make it. Or my, so I couldn't get a ride or I couldn't get left. I dropped off or anything like that. And he goes, oh, well, you didn't come training. You know, you're, on, you're starting off the bench. And usually, like, you get so cut, like, fuck, he started me on the bench. But the, and it's like the first five, ten minutes, you're like, put me on, put me on. And then he, he's like, he's looking at you like, this will make you pay a lesson, like, learn your lesson to turn off the Shit, man, like, yeah, keep me punctual. But you know, having a coach that so, yeah, will do that because not all the like, coaches will. Even staying off for the first part. Sorry, nah, you, you no cut way, out. No. You, you cut. You you kind of cut out. I didn't hear. Yeah. So when um like he he would say like you'd learn your lesson. Make sure you turn up to training. And like for me, staying off for the five five ten minutes, the first half five ten minutes. You're like you're anticipating. Like put me out there. Put me out there. But it's just. It's just like them, man. They're, they're checking you. They're chin-checking you, making sure you're responsible and, and punctual. But, yeah. How, how much does that stay now in your head? Like, does that does it, does that guy come into your head ever? Always, man. I always think about, like, the majority of my coaches, one of them um, basically took a bullet for me uh, when it came to me being a, a wild kid. But, yeah, he, he passed away in rest his soul. Um, but yeah, man, it was like every 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 single one of my coaches, the main ones that put shit on me. I remember, and but that I, I always think like they put shit on me because it was my fault. Uh, it wasn't them picking on me or anything like that. But at the time when 
it happened, I was like, man, what the fuck is this guy on about? Like, what the fuck am I doing wrong? I fucking led us to fucking victory fucking the last 10 weeks, man. And this guy's fucking giving me shit. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's how I would think like, back then. I was like, what the fuck's his problem? But then rethinking the whole situation, now that I'm more, much more wiser, I'm like, oh, man, I would have slapped the shit out of me back then as well. So. <laughs> fuck, man. I, I, I feel you. you. You just mentioned then a second ago, you said he... he basically took a bullet for me did you mean that literally or did you mean that no 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 like so <laughs> i don't play rugby league no more so it is what it is so, but um our season uh had finished in first division i played for fairfield pats uh we didn't make the final so uh it finished and all my friends uh all the boys that i played with um that i was friends with like were on a very very, very close occasion they played for mounties and um they were paying they're playing their last game of the comp and so one of the guys that I supposedly looked like only because he was Asian, couldn't make it. And, and he was part of that group as well. So I said to, like, this coach, I, like, I, I, I grew up with him. I just that one year that I decided to go and play with a Division One team because these guys were Division II. Um How old were you in this stage? Uh, this was, I was 16. No, seven, 17, 17. Yeah, and then so I said to him, um, let me let me jump and see how I would know before you walk out onto the field. They check the registration cards. They check you. They check your boots and everything like that. Like I, I I don't know. I was like, show me the show me the photo. Show me the photo. And I tried to put the same face on. And the guy that was checking it, he was young. <laughs> he looked at it. He goes, yep, yep, yep. And he called from one all the way to seventeen. And he walked away. And I was like, oh shit, I'm playing a game. I'm not even registered onto this team. I'm playing under someone else's name. And so in that game... How much did the guy look like you other than just being Asian? <laughs> Mate, completely out of the water, like different. Like, <laughs> he, looked like he looked like a deer and I was like a tuna in the water. Like, that's how <laughs> um, And so, and just letting you know, like he's part of, he was part of our group uh, of boys as well. He never scored a try all season. And in that game, he scored five <laughs> tries. Never scored a try all season. In that game, he scored five tries. I scored five tries. We smashed uh, Canley Vale Cookers by like 60-odd points. And um, the, the manager of Mounties, the team that I was playing for, uh, and we won, he, was, he lived right behind me uh, in my Sadlia house. And he's like, that, that kid is not like, – how, how does that kid play for this team? Who checked the registration card? He lives right behind me. Like, he knows me. Like, he, he was literally my neighbor, the manager of that team. Um, and I was like, and straight after the um, straight after the we won, we shook the, the other team's hand. He goes, hey, you come over here like that. And I looked like I just had stolen something. So I was like, huh. and I ran. I bolted for it. I took off the jersey and I ran. And so the next week, the next week, um, we, uh, I don't know, we, we had like one more game. I was playing for... Yeah, we had one more game for somewhere, and then he was at that game. Um, oh, yeah, I was playing for Hinchinbrook Corners that year, and uh, I was at that game, and um, I, was, I don't know, was it Pats or Hinchinbrook Corners? One of them. It was, I, I turned up to the game, and he was there. He was saying, this gentleman can't play. He played for Mounties last week uh, It's uh, with violations, and I was like, what are you on about, man? I, I was here last week. I was playing with these guys. My coach was like, he was with me last week, man. He wasn't with you, but I was actually on the field, and he remembers everything. <laughs> It was such like a trip out. Like officials came to the game. Like it was like a big meeting before we were about to um, head on out to the field. I remember everything by play by play. Man. It was so crazy. But I was like, I, I, we ended up playing that game, um, and they ended up just dropping everything. And that coach that took the ball for me, 
um, he got suspended for life. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, so so you got you got you got you got found out. Yeah, he 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 supposedly found me out. I didn't get punished for it, but he took the punish. He took the bullet for it. He he just goes, yeah, it was my fault or whatever it was. I'm not too sure it was. Um, but Baxter, yeah, um, Baxter's uh, he took he took the belt the the bullet man, and he got he got sacked for a long time, man. Fuck. Yeah, wow. man, that's why. Because he knew he was one of those guys that like I looked up to as a father, and he he basically knew the talent that I had and how young and dumb and naive I was, but um, mm. he, he, he believed in me. And then so he, if I was like a shit player, I, I'm sure he would have been like, yeah, he's like, he's not any good talent. Yeah. That was him. That, that You can take him and blah, blah, blah. But he knew like at the time I was, I was like, I was young and dumb, but I was, I was kind of talented in the rugby league department. So yeah. So, all right, let's, let's change things. Cause um, what happens fight day? What happens fight day and when does fight day start for you? Like I, I spoke to, you know, I've had heaps of different guys on, on the podcast. Uh, I had a uh, Cedric uh, Dumbe on the podcast. He's fighting for, he's defending his glory welterweight title. And for him, fight day starts a week early. And, um, you know, I've had, you know, like a whole different bunch of guys. Uh, Benedict Bowie, his, his fight day starts the day before. Um can you talk us through when your fight day starts and what happens, etc.? You're very, very relaxed now, like four days out. Like a lot of people are not this relaxed, and I've seen this many, many times. So um, talk us through when fight day starts for you and what does that mean? Yeah, so for me, um, coming into to fight week, I mean, I've been so switched on for the last eight weeks. I like to tone it down, uh, taper off. Usually I'd spend um, a week with my family just to forget about like the fight camp, you know, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, I'm switched on. Uh, I'm mentally prepared. My body's physically prepared. But the the mental aspect of – I've mentally burnt myself out in previous fights, and it's no good. It shows off in your performance. So uh, in terms of fight week, like, yeah, I, I constantly think about the fights, but I like to just – I like to take a step back and just chill. And then when it comes to training at night, I switch on, kill or be killed mode, and then I switch off and I go to sleep and I'm just – the next day starts. Um, I don't switch on completely thinking about my my opponent, completely thinking about him until maybe um, after weigh-in day. So after weigh-in day, we, we we train afterwards. We have a big meal as a family. We train. Um, I'm switched on. The next day when I wake up, my phone's turned off. Everything is off, and all day I'm just thinking about this guy, ready ready to go. And then so my fights are usually late. I usually have a nap. Um, throughout the day, and then I wake up and it's it's ready to go. I mean, sometimes it's like the day before fight day. Um, sometimes some some days it's fight day, but I'm always mentally thinking thinking about him, but just little little bits and pieces. Like I'll, I'll, if I'm thinking about him too much, then I'll change the subject and I'll do something to distract myself, um, so I don't mentally burn myself out. What's the what happens? Like what what are the feelings you're feeling? when they wrap your hands up, and I don't know, I've never been at 1FC, but UFC, they wrap your hands up, you've got your hands wrapped, it's your 20, 30 minutes before you go on, or maybe even a little more, then the guy comes in and says, five minutes, <laughs> etc. I'm, I'm assuming this is the equivalent of this. Are the nerves mm. peaking yet? When are the nerves peaking? Do you still get very nervous? Talk us through that. Uh. For me, it's like when it comes to that nervous side of things, um, 
I don't really get nervous anymore. I think the first five to ten fights, I used to get so nervous, like before anything. Um, and I would like, as I said, mentally burn myself out, and it wasn't good for myself. Um, so for me, it was like, okay, five minutes, all right, it's ha- it's happening. Like in my head now, I'm like, I visualized it for so long, it's happening right now. So it's it's all about adapting it, um, getting myself psyched up, walking out there, locking onto my opponent, and um, all I like I say to myself, you got to do this, you got to do this. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? What are you doing it for? Who are you doing it for? What do you want in life? Those are the questions you ask yourself just before you walk out. Okay, now it's time to answer it, and the opponent is the answer. Take him out. When is the fight begin? Does the fight begin once you get in that cage or octagon or 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 um? ring or does the fight begin when the guy first touches you when do you switch from martin newen the this gentleman that we see now to martin newen i'm fucking i don't know what's happening anymore it's on yeah so for me it's like when they, when they start announcing our names i'm like okay this is it you, this is the guy you gotta take out this is the guy that's gonna kill you He's, he's willing to hurt you. He's willing to do everything, to take everything that you work so hard for. You look at him in his eyes and you just go, man, I'm going to kill you right now. I'm gonna, this, this is this is my plan. I'm going to go in there. I want to hurt you right now. And I'm, I'm here now. They announce the names. I'm like, it's a fight now. So regardless if I learn the first, uh, I learn the first punch or he learns the first punch, it's it's right then and there. It's You're, you're, you're in the wilderness on your own and it's, it's time to eat. <laughs> That's how I think. Anyway. What's your take on fight day, fight week, Crowsley, and how do you see it from your perspective? And what are the nerves like for you? Because a lot of people for think me, the, the guys yeah. don't feel nerves, but people feel nerves. Oh, yeah, with Martin, the, the fight week for him is very relaxed. He's surrounded by good guys. We, we have a laugh. Um, but on fight day, Martin switches on. It's a different Martin on that on that day. You can tell, especially when we, uh, you know, we're getting picked up, get transferred and go to the stadium. It's, a complete, it's completely switched on. And especially when then when through the walkout, especially the walkout, I think that really gives him that energy and gives him that that, that you know purpose of why he's there. We love that walkout. Are you nervous? <laughs> that walkout is nervous. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Uh, are you nervous? Song, his song comes on. Me, no, I'm not, not nothing to be nervous about. I fully trust Martin. Probably the first couple of fights before he had the title, I was nervous for him. But now I just I just trust Martin. He's, I know he's going to do the job. He's just on another level, especially where he is now, training with the best, Henry Hoof, and the guys over there. It's like a training with NBA All-Stars. You know, now it's, it's, just, it's just unreal where he's at now. How, how did this happen with um, 1FC? Like, how, how did you sign with 1FC? Um, did you want to or want to fight in the UFC, or would you... I, I guess I know the answer, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. Like, uh, if there was ever a cross-promotional thing, would you welcome that challenge? Definitely, 100%, man. Um, how, how one championship came came about was I, I, the ultimate goal, uh, everyone's ultimate goal when starting off as a martial artist is the UFC because that's, that's what was going around at the time. Back then, It was everything was UFC, UFC, UFC. So in my head, I was like, okay, I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my shot in the UFC. Um, but right now, I just gotta I focus on this title fight. And the title fight I had at the time was for the brace featherweight title. I remember I was, that. I remember that one. I was fighting Luke Standing, my first, um, 
my, it was my first title ever that I was fighting for. And um, at that time, one championship, uh, which was called one FC at the time, they were um, they had like a summit, uh, bringing all the gyms and teams and promotions together um, to to find like the best fighters around the world. And Brace had signed under one championship as like an affiliate. And um, I didn't know, I didn't know all, all of this. I was just told afterwards. And so I was, I was getting prepared for Luke standing. Man, he was 4-0. He was the highest prospect of the featherweights uh, at that time. And he was apparently bound for, uh, bound for good, he, he was bound for good places uh, with his record training under Elvis and uh, Perosh, their um, SPMA at that time. And so I, t- I took the fight and it was that gym rivalry, KMA versus SPMA. We were right across the road from each other. I'm like, man, we can just fight in the middle of George Street. Why don't we get a camera and a fight, right? And so, um, yeah, that fight, uh, thankfully enough, uh, ended up in my favor. And straight after the fight, uh, Kaya, the owner of uh, Brace, came through and goes, oh, as everyone, he, he got on the mic, he goes, after I got my belt and everything, he goes, uh, as everyone knows, uh, we just signed an affiliate to 1FC and 1FC would love to offer Martin this contract, the winner of this fight, a contract. And I was like, in my head, I was like, what the hell? And everyone was like, oh, 1FC, 1FC is like a huge, I never knew who they were or, or what they did or anything like that. And so I got the contract and I was like, oh man, this is like international level. And I started searching him up on YouTube and I was like, oh, this is like international fights. I'm not like on the local scenes or I'm not flying down to Melbourne or anything like that for fights on the local scene. Now I'm actually going overseas where you're fighting guys that are doing the same thing as you, but in another country and you don't know the levels, like if it's, if it's a good level or if it's not level, if you're getting, if you're getting fed to the wolves or not, like you don't know. And so I went into that first fight under one FC at that time, um, blinded by my opponent. Like I went online, I could not find, he was five and oh, Filipino, five and oh, nothing on him on the net, nothing on him at all. And I was like, apparently all I knew from him was he, he had his record in which two or three of them was via submission, but he was a boxer. So I was like, in my head, I was like, what is he, a boxer or what is he, like a striker, a grappler? I don't know what he is. And I went into that fight not knowing what he was, what he specialised at, um, and, yeah, just trusted my skills. And <laughs> Thank God it worked my way. <laughs> What's 1FC like? What's 1FC like to, to fight for? What are they like as an organisation, et cetera, et cetera? Outstanding organization, man. Um, for me, for me purposely, why I stay here is because they look after me. Um, I, I did my I, I did my time. I fought the best guys at the time to to work out. I've I fought the best guys now up until now. Like for for defending my titles, I've had I had that one in 2018, 17 to 18. I had five title fights in 11 months. So I was constantly being um, given fights and I was constantly being able to provide for my family. And that's the main thing for me. If you can, if you can give me a word that you can help me out by giving me fights um, and helping me out by looking after my family, then I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty loyal guy. I'll, I'll stay with you. Like there's always, there's always an urge for people to say like, um, we ever go to the UFC or UFC this or would you ever uh, focus on going to another promotion? That's the main main uh, questions that they ask me. And for me, I'm like, I, I made a promise to myself, man. Like, I've already worked my way so high in one championship, and I'm getting looked after 
so well. And that's the main thing, my family having food on the table. Uh, so for me, I, it, it's until the wheels fall off, man, um, until one championship says, all right, Martin, we don't need your services no more. And if I'm still in a peak peak of a fight, uh, peak of my fighting career, then I'll I'll venture on and probably try out for the UFC. But until then, um, until they say they don't need me more, no more, I'm with one championship. How do you? Uh, what's your experience with the with the organization? Like, what's what, like? I'm saying this because from the outside, it looks fantastic. It looks really good. I think um, this. I'm just saying my thing. This. It doesn't sound like I'm fucking trying to make a controversy because I'm not. Um, I like the whole thing with One FC. I find it. Um, it's like it seems to be have a little bit more like. Uh, it's a great show. It's a great spectacle, but it doesn't have that same. Like the UFC, to me, me personally, and I'm no fucking angel, but the the trash talking and the thing, it's it's become like bigger than the fight almost. Do you get what I mean? Um, and I'm not I'm not one that's like, oh my god, they said they said a swear word. That doesn't that's not what worries me. But it's just become a thing where it's not even like it's almost toxic, man. In my opinion, like it, it's not, it's not even about the fight anymore. It's like. If I get on, I can get on there now, and if I've got a big name, and I say racist shit, stuff about your family, it's all good. I'm building the fire, and I just that honestly makes me fucking uh, not interested. I can yeah. appreciate people with good sense of humor, people that are quick witted. You know what I mean? Like you give each other shit. Like you know, I grew up all around around a whole group of boys. You know that none of them were angels, and I'm all for giving each other shit. You know, but. It's just shit that I just think, like, man, you're grown men. You're saying shit about each other's wives and that. Like, nah. The main thing is, like, you don't know them. Like, you don't know them from above. So you don't know their struggles. You don't know their journey. You don't know anything about them, but you start talking about it. But one thing um, Henry told us today in which I, took, I, I, I kind of made me, like, take a step back and realise that, like, you sign a, he said, you sign a contract, right, with, to, to fight, and that contract says that you get paid to do this, which is just fighting. In terms of promoting the fight, the the it's, that's the promoter's job. That's the promoter's job to promote the fight. Like that's not your job. You're not going to get paid any extra. You're not going to pay any less to promote the fight or not. It's only up to you, dude. If you if you want to promote the fight, you're going to waste your own energy and you're going to be doing his job, in which he's going to get paid for what you're going to say. Like it's all in the words of those lines. And I was like, man, for me, I never. I'm not the one to talk shit. I'm not the one to hype fights. I let my I let my fighting style. Um, bringing the fans and that's what i what i feel that has a lot of well has gotten me my followers just my fighting style i've never i really keep to myself i don't really talk shit about anyone the moment those cage doors shuts it's still going to be the same scenario whether uh we like it or not it's you're here to hurt me and i'm here to hurt you like you saying words to hype up the fight for other people to come in. It's not going to get us more money in our pockets. And we sign the contract. This is how much we're going to get paid. And that's it. How do you feel about the, the promotion and whatnot, uh, Chrysler? Yeah, I love it. Especially here in Asia, you get to travel up here. It's pretty close. Um, the way they do things, it's organized. It's They value the martial arts, the values of being of respect and honor. Um, they look at people's lives. From where they where they started from, it's 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 good it's a good it's a good organization. I love being here. I love the fight week. I love it when man fights and everybody else. You get to see all the guys here 
Asian fighters, the Filipino fighters. Everyone's it's, it's it's a good atmosphere. What's the weight cutting process like? Because I know I know you have to weigh in hydrated, but people still cut weight. You just have to be hydrated. Can you explain to us what the whole process is like? Because you, it's not easy for you to get down to bantam weight. So, can you talk to us about the whole thing? Yeah. So in terms of my my weight class now for featherweight, I walk around seventy kilos maximum. Uh, I'll be is like seventy four, but that's like out of shape. Um, in terms of me training every single day, fight camp days, I'm seventy kilos walking around. So that's like. It's it's for cutting for featherweight. I don't really cut. Um, I just I just eat whatever I want, train hard, and I'm on weight. But in terms of if I ever was to go back down to bantam weight, I would need a minimum to feel my best. Um, a minimum of three months, so twelve weeks to to prepare. Um, eight weeks, I'd say more to lose the weight, which is six kilos. Um, but in terms of so. So for seventy, so so it's, no, it's about four kilos. Eight weeks to lose four kilos, and the the rest of the four weeks, so my body gets used to moving around at that weight. And yeah, it's a long time. Like I, I asked for a long time, but it's I learned I learned the hard way. My last bantamweight fight, I lost six kilos in seven weeks, and I, I felt the worst I've ever felt. But how how do you lose that weight and you're still hydrated? Uh, so I was, it was dieting. Um, it was more based on um, diets and, you know, uh, eating right and uh, training consecutively, just having like smaller meals, smaller portion meals. Everything was sorted out like that. That sounds shit, man. <laughs> that sounds awful. Worse, worse, the absolute worst. <laughs> so give me time. They're, oh. they're hitting us. Training. All good. Can I ask you one question oh, before, before you go? Just about your opponent. Um, how do you feel? What do you think? How do you how do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I think um, he is a high caliber opponent. I think he is uh, a very well rounded fighter. He um, he's worked his way up to to fight me for the title. Um, but I mean, it's just like any other one of my opponents. You know, I put him at the highest of the high. This guy has world championship credentials. He's here to take what everything that I've worked so hard for. So it's up to me to defend my throne and um, take home what's what's mine. You know. How big are you in Vietnam? Uh, in Vietnam, I'm huge. <laughs> in Vietnam, it's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of Vietnamese followers. Um, I'm basically other than Kung Lee, um, the one of the well-known mixed martial arts fighters. My opponent is uh, Vietnamese as well. Uh, I wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't say that more people know him more than me. But um, yeah. In terms, I, I, I was one of the biggest fighters uh, coming up now. So, like, if you go to Vietnam, you get mobbed. Uh, yeah, a bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, people know who I am. Definitely. And in Australia. And in Australia, I like to keep it low key. No one knows who I am. Like, and, and, I, and I and I and I don't mind that. Like. Going overseas, I get mobbed overseas. Like it's, it's, it is what it is. It's fight week, and people want to get in there and want to know who you are and everything like that. And when I go home to Australia, no one knows me about soap, and I feel good. I feel, I, I feel comfortable, and I, and I feel good with that because I can live my life and not be judged, you know, from my my popularity or my superstardom or whatever like that. Dude, fucking, it would be shit. Like I remember just being with Rob and people, um. Like in Australia, people would come up to him, like he'd be holding his baby or something, and like say he fucking lost the fight or whatever, and people would come up and be like, 
you know, you should have thrown the jab, Rob, blah, 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 this and that. And I think, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what? The, what? You know, like, or, or, you know, did you think, why didn't you think about doing this or doing that? Or, you know, can I get a picture? And his kids fucking, you know, he's got like four kids. His kids, yeah. one kid's crying, the other kid's cr- climbing a tree, the other kid's fucking trying to run across the road. And he's got- It's the worst, it's the worst, man. Fuck. No privacy. Terrible, man. Terrible. Now, hey, man, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but both of you guys, thank you so much. I wish you the very best. I will definitely be watching. Where can people follow you guys? Uh, for me, it's uh, on Instagram. That's where my main platform is, is at It's Martin. Uh, I'll have a Facebook page as well, uh, Martin, the situation new one. And on Twitter, I have uh, It's Martin, new one, MMA. Chrysler? Uh, yeah, and me, just Chrysler DeCastro on Instagram. Awesome. Guys, That's thank it. you so much, man. This has been awesome. Thank Thanks, you so man. much. I wish you the very best. Thanks for having us. Uh, and Thanks, hope you man. smash it, man. Thank you.